Go ahead this morning, being Palm Sunday, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and we'll start at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. We didn't, we didn't uh, compare notes this morning. <laughs> Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, hundreds of years earlier, by the way, Say to, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine this scene, right? As, as you're outside of Jerusalem or maybe in the city there, Jesus had just raised, in context here, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He had been in the tomb four days. This is something that had never been seen before on the face of the earth, right? And now this one who did this incredible thing is riding into Jerusalem. What a wonderful, joyous, celebratory scene, right, as he rides into the city. And we likewise, on Palm Sunday, don't we, every year, we celebrate this day, right? Just like they did with palm branches, with praises and hosannas, exalting Jesus as our Savior and our King. And yet, as my wife talked about this morning, it's funny, um, I can almost hear Paul Harvey's voice saying, stay tuned for the rest of the story. Because the Bible shows us that there's more, more than just a celebration. Shows us that Jesus didn't just ride into the city that day like some public figure, you know, peeking through the sunroof of the limo, waving at people, right? Simply to be acknowledged as Messiah and King of Israel. In fact, the Bible shows us that he was on a very important mission. So let's keep reading. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. I want to entitle the message this morning, Jesus, God-man on a mission. God-man on a mission. We've talked before about the sacrificial system under the Old Covenant. 
God being a God of justice, right? Couldn't just let sin go undealt with, could he? Why? Because it would just continue and it would just get worse, just like it did in the days before the flood, where the Bible says that the thoughts and intents of the hearts of people were only evil continually, right? That's what happens when you just let everything go. And the Bible declares that the wages of sin is death, doesn't it? But God, also being a God of mercy. Anybody glad this morning that God is a God of mercy? God, in his mercy, allowed the lives of certain animals to be given in exchange for that of the sinner. And even in that, though, God showed over and over as these sacrifices were offered that sin produces death. This tie, this this inextricable tie between sin and death. Think about it for a minute. Just think about the Ten Commandments, okay? Murder, lies, stealing, adultery. It's all what? It's all destructive to us, isn't it? It all hurts us. It destroys individuals and and. Marriages, relationships, families, communities, right? That's what sin does. That's why God hates sin. Not because he's, he's okay, I'm against this and I'm against this and I'm against this. No, he hates sin because it's destructive to the people that he loves. Right? That's why he warns us against it. So every time a sacrifice was made in the Old Covenant, people would see two things. They would see, first of all, the merciful nature of God. And they would see the destructive nature of sin. A message played out over and over and over. And the regulations called for those sacrifices, um, those animals had to be perfect. They had to be without defect, any blemish, right? Couldn't have a broken leg, couldn't couldn't be a disease in any way. Why is that? Why is that? Well, let's think about it this way. If you take an item back to Walmart because it's defective, what do they do? Do they give you a defective one in place of it? No, right? (laughs) It'd be ridiculous. So likewise, uh, you, you don't give another defective thing in place of something that's already defective. You don't offer a defective animal in place of a human that's defective and corrupted by sin, right? That's the idea. Plus, this action was also prophetic. They may not have seen it until later on. Thank God we do. But it pointed to a future day when the perfect and sinless Son of God would ultimately be sacrificed for our sin, right? Yours and mine, the sin of the whole world. He had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. If he had any sin of his own, he couldn't have paid for ours, right? Death would have had a claim on him. He, he was a sinner, right? He died, death would have held him. He had to be perfect. And so these sacrifices were a prophetic act pointing to that day, right? That day. And the priest would have to check them out, Right When people would offer them, the priest would sit there and check out those animals to make sure that they were perfect, make sure they had no defect. And so somebody got a hold of that and they said, hey, you know what? 
I think maybe we should have some animals that are kind of like pre-approved, right, that, that have already been checked over just in case somebody comes and theirs is rejected or, or you know, some people were, came from all over the world for Passover, right, uh, this time of year. So they had to dra- travel long distances. And what happened if, if their sacrifice died or got lost or whatever on the way? So we should have a pen of these animals just in case people need them. That's a great idea for a price. Hmm. We might be able to make a little money at this as well, right? Because think about it. What you, you travel, you know, a week or whatever on foot or, or on a donkey or, or this or that or anything, and you get there and your animal's rejected, now you're in a tough spot. And the law of supply and demand, right? They were paying big bucks for these sacrifices. And if they came from a foreign country or whatever, they had different currency, which they had then tables of people that could exchange currency for you for a price. You see where we're going with this. So no longer was this people coming to the temple of God, coming to the, the God of the universe to, to receive from him mercy and grace, right? This was now a system corrupted by personal gain and profit. And, and, and even to the, to the priests themselves who turned a blind eye, probably for a kickback. Is it any wonder then that Jesus was upset with what's going on, right? Here, here was supposed to be this, this, Wonderful time of people drawing near to the God of the universe, receiving His love, His mercy, His grace. And what were they getting? They were having to pay big bucks. They were, they were told, no, your animal's no good. Right? What, what, what is this? I mean, I think after a while, this would kind of... Uh, it, what if you walked into church with your Bible under your arm and, and, and we met you at the door and said, uh, you can't use that Bible. You have to use the one that's in the pew. And, be, and besides that, they're $12. How, how many would keep coming? <laughs> right? No. So, so this corruption, this is, this is supposed to be a place to connect with God. And it was a place that was corrupt. So no, Jesus didn't ride into town just to be a celebrity. He was on a mission. You say, okay, I get it. But what does that have to do with us today? Great question, great question. Can I say that there are a lot of people all around the world, maybe even here today, maybe online today, that like the old Doobie Brothers song, would, would say, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. I, I, th- I think Jesus was really cool. I think he was a, a wonderful man. He was a great moral teacher, the best moral example that we've ever had, right? They revere him. They wave their palm branch, so to speak, in his favor. But that's not what Jesus came for, just to be hailed as a great man. He's on a mission. He's coming to the temple. 
His destination is the center of worship. It's our hearts. It's our hearts. Our hearts that were created by God as the center of worship. Created to be the place where we would connect with Him and receive His mercy, His grace, His love. Where we would know Him and be changed by His life. And when Jesus first comes to us, what does He find? I know in my life, He found corruption. He didn't find there a place devoted to God. He found a place devoted to Ron. Right? Personal gain, pride, self-centeredness, envy, lust, greed, you name it, it was there, right? All transacting their business in the center of worship of Ron's life. And he comes in and he says to all those things, what are you doing here? You're robbing him. Right? You're hurting the one I love. You're robbing him of the pure and simple devotion that I designed to give him. And he says that with all of us, right? He comes, what is this stuff here? It's robbing them. It's hurting them. Keeping them from that pure and simple devotion and that place of connection with God. The place that I designed to bring them peace real peace and hope and strength and joy. So he comes to overturn those things, doesn't he? And drive them out, saying, this is my house. This is my house. This is a person that I created. This is a heart that I created for me. A place to connect with God. A place to be transformed by that mercy, by my grace, and by my love. Now you can imagine in the temple that day, as he overturned those tables and all, it was a pretty violent scene. Elsewhere, you know, there's, there, he, he takes a cord of whip, get out of here, right? Kicks them all out of that place. But he doesn't do that with us, does he, when he comes to our hearts. Why is that? Why is that? Because he took all that violence on himself, didn't he? On the cross. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us on that cross. All of the wrath of God against sin was poured out upon him. So then how does our temple, how does our hearts how are they cleansed? Right? Simply by opening them up and letting Him in. And then by joining with Him in that restoration process, saying yes, as we heard this morning, saying yes to Jesus, saying, have your way in me, Lord. I think I told you the story before about how during a prayer meeting years and years ago, I was on the piano leading some worship between prayers and lightly playing in the background. And someone stood up and they prayed out, bemoaning the fact that there were still racist attitudes in the church in America and, and, and how it was a, a blight 
on, on the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I can remember sitting there playing the piano, and I'm saying to myself, well, that's not me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I got issues with, right? I'm, I'm nowhere near a ride, but, but that one's not me. Whew, you know, I would love to see people of different colors and different ethnicities walk in that back door. And the Holy Spirit, clear as a bell, said, yeah, but you still think you're better than they are. Wow. See, did he come all angry and say, you rotten excuse for a Christian, you got junk in your heart, and you... No. Just spoke a simple word to my heart. It hurt good. When the Lord comes, it hurts good. You know what I'm saying? Because what, he's, what he says to us is, I have better for you. I have more for you. See, that's, that's what he did. I, I love the terminology here in Matthew. He overturned the tables. And I know it's a little stretch here, but, but go with me here. Uh, he overturned them. He turned them over. He turned them upside down, right? That's what he does in our hearts. He overturns bitterness and gives us forgiveness and love. He overturns pride and he gives us humility. And gratitude. He overturns fear and depression and gives us peace and hope. He's wanting to overturn all these things in our hearts. They're, they're pretty ugly in there sometimes, right? But what is he doing? He's taking out that which kills, that which destroys and replacing it with that which gives life. Filling us with things that bless us. But not only that, look at this. Look at this this morning. Don't miss this. Look at the middle of verse 12. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. See, Jesus not only restored the temple, but that temple then became a place where he worked to bring healing to others, to the hurting and the broken. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus comes to us not to be hailed as a great teacher. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to come into our hearts and to restore that connection with God, to kick out all that ugly stuff that just does us no good and does nobody else any good to replace it with stuff that brings life, not only to us, though, but then restored in that relationship with Him, we become that temple that He can work through to bring life to the hurting and the broken. Jesus was and still is a God-man on a mission, isn't He? There is a lot of hurting broken people 
around here, isn't there? And we rub shoulders with them all the time. Telling you, this 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 COVID thing has just the the, the mental illness um, of people that that never had it before. I mean, people just are still reeling with the emotional baggage of this pandemic. And it's coming out in anger and hatred and this and that, right? All these unhealthy ways. A lot of hurting and broken people. And Jesus says, I want you to be my temple. I want to come in. I want to work, rework some things in here so that you can be a place of hope and healing and peace and life to the world around you. He's a God-man on a mission. So today, today, Palm Sunday, Hosanna, right? Let's not simply, let's wave, right? Let's, let's celebrate. But let's not simply hail the great Jesus moral teacher. Let's open our hearts wide. Let's invite him to come in. Let's say yes to him. Lord, do that work in me. I see what you're showing me in here, and I don't like the look of it. Lord, by your power, get that thing out of my heart. Get that destructive thing out of my heart so that I can be restored, receive your life, and be a place of hope and healing for those around me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are on a mission. Thank you for your incredible love for us, Lord. A love that doesn't just pass over things, but you love us enough for that, that word that we sometimes we don't like, the word change. Lord, you want to change us for our benefit and for the benefit of those around us. Lord Jesus, we want to not only hail you as a great teacher, great Savior, we want to honor you as Lord today. Be Lord of our lives. Come into our hearts. Come into my heart today, Lord, and do your work in me. And I thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.